This is a three-part series that will be released over three weeks. Please be sure to begin with episode one. This series discusses crime scenes and murder. Listener discretion is advised. This is The Fall Line. In Oliverst, California, in the last days of 2005, a 20-year-old named Chido Garabay Ferreira failed to arrive at church. Her family had gone on ahead and expected her to appear later. With some family members singing in the choir and a special program planned to celebrate the Virgin of Guadalupe, whose namesake feast fell on the next day, December 12th. Chido's mother, Magdalena, and her stepfather, Lionel Sr., and her little brother and sister, Lionel Jr., called Junie by the family, and Marisol, all had to leave the house by 5.30 a.m. They piled into Lionel Sr.'s Dodge Ram for the trip, but Chido had her own car, paid for by her job at the local video store so she could sleep in a little and meet her family later. They'd be performing at two different masses that morning. Chido would catch up in her 2002 Mercury Cougar. It was a vehicle her little brother and sister and cousins all loved. But Chido Garibay never met her family at mass. When her mother and father arrived home, her brother and sister had gone to their cousin's house to play. Chido wasn't there either but her purse and cell phone were still in her room, and her Mercury Cougar was still parked outside. Instead, the family's third car, a Toyota Camry that Magdalena drove, was gone. Something was wrong. Magdalena began to make calls. Their family was large and close-knit. The Ferreira side was stretched across the little towns near Yuba City, like Oliverst and Marysville, where most of the siblings and their grandmother and grandfather, Magdalena's parents, had settled. Call to call, person to person, then to Chido's friends. She had many. The question was asked again and again. Where is she? They didn't have time to call the Yuba County Sheriff's Office. Deputies arrived at the family's door. But they hadn't found Chido. According to the Appeal Democrat, the family's Toyota Camry had been discovered, quote, submerged in the Bear River next to a train trestle a half mile east of Highway 70. That was an area a few miles from the family's home. That's right at the Yuba County and Sutter County lines. The car had been spotted, per the Democrat, by, quote, a nature photographer. It was just chance that the Camry had been found so soon. They'd followed the registration to Magdalena and Lionel's home. But there was no sign of Chato, and there wouldn't be, not for days and days. Even with exhaustive ground searches, endless flyering by her family, sleepless nights, she had entirely disappeared. The only sign at the house that was unusual, law enforcement noted to the Democrat, was that there was an open window, and the screen to the window was laying outside on the ground and it was unclear whether this had anything to do with her disappearance. Chido vanished from her Northern California home, from her small town, on December 11, 2005. In a community of roughly 13,000 people, 
who, per the Appeal Democrat, at one point formed a hand-to-hand chain to search for her, it was difficult to imagine what could have happened. Chido was a busy, well-liked, family-focused young adult with plans to attend college on the horizon. She'd graduated from the local high school. She was a popular staple at the counter at the local video store. She was well-known in her church community and the Spanish-language youth group. She had friends, and people everywhere knew her. But no one came forward to say that they'd seen anything. No one ever entertained the idea that Chido Garabay had run away or left her life behind. She's a good girl. That's what every news story echoed. The sheriff's investigators, her family, friends, the church, they all knew something had occurred. Chido's parents had been home by 10.30 a.m. that Sunday, and in five hours, she was gone without a trace. On Wednesday, December 14th, three days after Chido's disappearance, then-undersheriff Steve Durfer told the Sacramento Bee, quote, The circumstances are highly suspicious. We're not ruling out the possibility of foul play. We're not discounting any theory at this point. And soon, the word kidnapped began to appear in local news reports. It took a few days, but authorities were eventually able to narrow down what Chido was likely wearing when she disappeared. Cowboy boots, jeans, a zip-up hoodie. She might have had on her favorite jewelry. Within a few days, the Appeal Democrat reported that the Yuba County Sheriff had set up a 24-hour tip line asking for any information pertaining to Chido's disappearance. On December 15th, the paper described an extensive search with scent dogs along the banks of the river, and quotes from volunteers who joined in to aid the mission were included. Uriel Chavez, Chido's cousin, told the Democrat, quote, I don't know why she's missing. She didn't have any enemies. And there were quotes from Chato's boyfriend, her cousins, her aunts and uncles, and friends. So many people were worried. By the 20th of December, the paper reported that the same areas had been searched and searched again, especially, quote, along the Bear and Feather Rivers, on foot and horse and all-terrain vehicles. Dogs had again been brought in. The force was largely volunteer and had help coming in from across the region, including outside Yuba County. Chido's parents' house had become a home base for neighbors and volunteers and their large extended family who met to help with firing and searches, anything that was needed. And, in the afternoons, Magdalena, Chido's mother, would sit and wait for news. But there was no news. Christmas passed. Relatives from other towns sent presents for Chido, hoping she'd be home to open them. She missed the trip to Mexico that she'd planned on making with her family. It would have been the first time she had a chance to visit since she'd immigrated as a child. We first heard of Chido Garabay when a listener of the show contacted us and asked us if we'd cover her case. Anna told us that Chido was her partner's cousin. She told us that he and his family had been waiting for answers for a long time. As we messaged over Instagram, it soon became apparent how many people who loved Chido would be willing to speak about her. Her cousins, Hansel and America and Gracia, her mother Magdalena and her Aunt Carmen, who interviewed with Brooke with the translation help of our special content advisor and translator, Guadalupe Lopez. 
Chido's brother Lionel, nicknamed Junie, and her sister Marisol. Chido's high school friends, Ophelia and Ashley. There is a lot you need to know about Chido. Her life didn't begin and end that day in December in Northern California when she promised to meet her family at church, but never made it there. And there's more to tell you about her case. But first, you need to know more about her. And then you'll discover what her family needs from you. Now, more than 17 years after police stood on their front porch, telling them their family car had been discovered in the river. Es que antes de que naciera mi hija, uh, ese nombre yo lo oí de una artista mexicana que tenía un I. Ese nombre se le puede poner niña o niño. Entonces dijo Chairo y a mí me gustó ese nombre. Luego, luego. That was Magdalena, Chairo's mother, talking about how she chose Chairo's name. She told us that she liked the name Chairo because it was gender neutral, and she first heard it as the name of a Mexican artist. She told us, quote, One day my sister-in-law mentioned the name Yosefe, and I liked how it sounded, Chairo Yosefe, and so that's what we named her. The meaning for Chairo is welcome to this world, and Yosefe means white dove. The meaning is wonderful. That's why I loved it, and it fit her very well, because my daughter was always very happy. She had a smile that never went away. Today, many of her friends that I keep in touch with have told me they named their children after her, and it makes me very happy. Unlike her younger brother and sister, Chido was born in Mexico. She moved with her mother and several other family members to California when she was young. She hadn't seen her biological father since then, and there were plans for her to meet with him when the family took their Christmas trip in 2005. But, of course, with her disappearance, that trip never came. No one wanted to leave, not even the city, to see family close by. They needed to be on hand to find her. How her family came to settle in the Sacramento Valley region was a story told to us by several of Chido's loved ones, but principally by her cousins, America and Hansel. America was close in age to Chido. Hansel is one of the younger cousins, that's how everyone discussed it with us, the young cousins and the older cousins. Two social circles, with the older sometimes caring for the younger. America talked to us about when she and Chido moved from Mexico to California, back when they were very small. So our age difference is not too big. Chido, her birthday's April 10th, and mine was January 4th. So we're like, maybe like nine months apart. And she, my first memories of m mine and, and hers are probably actually quite a big memory. And it's an impactful one, too, because it was when our parents decided to migrate over to the, to the U.S. And me and her were only like four years old, or she might have been five and I was four. And so our parents brought us over here in their eyes to get, you know, have a better future work and provide for us different opportunities that they felt that they couldn't provide for us in Mexico. So I came in with me, my dad, and her mom and Chido, because my mom was already in the USA. So we were going to come and meet up with her, me and my dad. And Chido and my aunt, I don't quite know what my aunt's marital status was at that point, but I do know that Chido did not have a 
her biological father was not in her life or wasn't very consistent, at least from what I understand. So my aunt brought her her daughter title to the U.S. And I think my aunt got together with who is now my uncle, Lionel Sr. And then they had the two kids, Lionel Jr. and then Marisol. That's probably the earliest memory I have of me and my cousin. Although America, Chido, and their parents only made a permanent move to the United States in the 1990s, their family had a long history of living and working in the agricultural industry here. Hansel told us about their maternal grandfather, who'd been part of the Bracero program established in World War II. There's a lot of history there, more than we can get into in a single episode. But the short version is that due to major factors like the forced internment of Japanese Americans and other immigrants, and the number of workers absent due to the war effort in Europe, a guest worker program began. According to the Library of Congress, quote, an executive order called the Mexican Farm Labor Program established the Bracero Program in 1942. This was after extensive back and forth between the two governments. The United States wanted to invite Mexican farm workers in on a limited basis, and the Mexican government expressed concern about racism, discrimination, pay, working conditions, and a variety of other issues. Per the library's research guide, a, quote, set of protocols was established to protect the Braceros from inequity. But based on UCLA's Labor Center's history of the program, these protocols were not followed, even as the guest worker program was renewed a number of times, all the way through 1964. The legacy of this program, including widespread illness and cramped quarters, the separation of families, deportation, loss of wages, and the disappearance of a compulsory social security fund established for braceros by the Mexican government and the shape of current American agricultural industry is still evident today. We'll include some links in our website's news section so you can read more. For now, though, for Chido and Hansel's family, the most immediate concern was that they had a long history of living and working in the United States, and that slowly, many members of the family decided to permanently immigrate. Hansel told us that his maternal grandmother had not been enthusiastic about it. I've interviewed my grandfather before, uh, just because with our culture and the way we got here, records aren't super easy to come by. So it's like, you need to capture it orally from whoever experienced it, or it might just be gone forever. Um, so I, I asked my grandfather about that, and he was talking about all the states he's been to. He's been through at least two-thirds of the United States, just working on field after field after field, like feeding <laughs> America along with everyone else in that program back in the day. So he did that, just saving up money. And back then, it was very different, even if you weren't like in that program. Because it was all viewed very differently with coming here and stuff. It was more like, oh, I'm just going to go to the United States and go work and then I'll come back and stuff. And I'll just keep doing that as I need. Now, obviously, it's a lot stricter and difficult. So they were doing that. And then eventually, as they felt like the sh- like a wave of change coming, my parents' generation, I think they, they wanted to start putting their foothold here. Specifically, I think the men because of the way everything is, like they wanted to come here. 
they would come here and establish like a foothold and then be able to send money for for the rest of the family to come. And I think my grandma ended up begrudgingly <laughs> following them here, but I'm pretty glad she did because uh, for my dad's parents uh, who were like similar age, they ended up staying. And I think they, they definitely enjoyed like their their time in Mexico. But yeah, their lives were significantly shorter than my mom's parents. And I think it was just because of the different accessibility to resources that they had. So I don't know, it, it kind of bums me out because I feel like maybe my dad would have had more time with his parents if they were able to access better medical resources and things like that. Hansel told us what it was like for them all, all the cousins, growing up with so many members of their family in close proximity. My mom and Chairo's mom, Magdalena, uh, they're sisters. So we're first cousins, but uh, in our culture, we're just called primos hermanos. So that's just like how close we are in terms of like familiarity. My mom, Carmen, and my aunt, Magdalena, uh, they, they spend a lot of time together, especially. I think they, just because of a lot of my cousins and then my sister and my brothers were very similar age. Well, that, that like is a commonality throughout our entire family with all my aunts and uncles and cousins and stuff. So yeah, it was Junie, me, my cousin Christian, our little cousin Pedro, who's now taller than all of us. So he ended up winning. <laughs> yeah, just like a handful of us, just all hanging out all the time playing. And then, yeah, like the older cousins, like America and Chairo and my, my older brother's and all them in like their little group and then us in our little group. But yeah, I saw Chairo a lot, but uh, it was so long ago that I'm like really kind of sad about how like little definitive memories I can remember or recall from back then. It's mostly just like that drive to the movie theater. I think because I was just so excited to get to go with all my cool older cousins and then also my best friend cousins that are like my age and stuff. And it was like a sense of freedom that you often don't get like in small towns or everything's very much guided by your parents, especially at that young age. I grew up in Marysville. Uh, well, a lot of us lived in Marysville, but then uh, a large majority of my mom's family, the Ferreira side, uh, which is the side titles on, they ended up moving to Oliver's, which is just maybe like less than 10 miles down the road, like maybe five. Me and my sister and my brothers all grew up there. And so we were a little more disconnected from the rest of the Ferreiras because they all lived within like a stone's throw of each other in Oliver's. But we would go over there and hang out and just playing tag or playing soccer or walking along like the areas between our cousins and Oliver's houses since they were together. Like they were just like separated by like an unincorporated land area and we would go and play over there uh, behind the park or something or go venture into like the wooded areas or I don't I don't know whatever things uh, kids do that looking back it's like oh that was very sketchy and if our parents weren't working as much as they had to maybe we wouldn't have been allowed to do that <laughs> but yeah just I don't know like typical stuff like that 
and then eventually just riding bikes around town once we got older and walking around town together to go to the local like Pagetia or something like that. And then when we got cars, if we were still in the area, just driving to each other's houses to go hang out. Every single uh, major holiday was just uh, like we would make an excuse to just have like a big get together. So everyone's birthdays, uh, every holiday, it would all be centralized at one house. And we would go there and everyone would bring like potluck style stuff. And our parents, like specifically all of our mothers would work furiously like a day or two leading up to it to make their signature dish or something. Like for my mom, she's a glutton for spicy food. So she would be making like the spiciest salsa that will melt your tongue out of your mouth for the day leading up to the event. If it was thanksgiving or something they'd be like trying their hand at as american as they can as they could like thanksgiving turkey dinner or or a ham or something which would always come out like super mexican still <laughs> but it, it was interesting because otherwise like without them like i'd be like hey yeah you know regular turkey dinner some uh rice and beans and uh some salsa and mole and you know like you know, what everyone else eats during Thanksgiving. Every event was basically the same event with slightly changed filter to kind of make it make sense for why we were doing it. Like, oh, all the birthdays were basically the same, but just different person being in, being at the center of attention. And then all the holidays were uh, fairly similar with just different decorations up. But it was always really fun just being like, oh, cool, uh, Christmas or New Year's or Thanksgiving or whatever's coming up and that means we're all going to head over to the Amagda or the Atere or Tio Rodo's house or whatever and we're all going to hang out and we're finally going to be able to be like Super Mario together on the Nintendo that our parents got for us from their work last year or something but yeah it was always huge uh, like the events were very very elaborate now that I'm older like it seems incredibly exhausting to even try to amass that many individuals and that much food for one of those events, like nonetheless, like twice a month, every month uh, for like 18 plus years, like, like, man, plus working full time while not really understanding the language and being treated very differently or taken advantage of at work and stuff like that. Like, I don't know how they did it. It was absolutely crazy. Lionel Jr., Juni the middle child in Charo's family, and one of Hansel's best friends, also gave us background on what it was like growing up in such a close-knit family. I would say they're both pretty nice people. And uh, uh, I would say my dad is pretty quiet and easygoing. My mom is the one that, growing up, if we did something wrong, she was, I guess, the one that would be more willing to actually punish us. Whereas my dad, I feel like my dad just wants to please everyone. So he's more going and uh, he doesn't, he doesn't really speak much except sometimes he'll say a joke here and there. It's pretty easy going. And then my mom, I feel is pretty similar, but she's a little bit more talkative, maybe a little more extroverted in comparison. But I, I just feel like because they came to the U.S., they don't want to cause a scene or a trouble and they're very 
family oriented in terms of me growing up with my cousins, seeing my cousins pretty much every day until I graduated high school. Maybe like seven cousins of mine were similar age who I just saw very frequently as if we were brothers and sisters or just cousins. I didn't, I thought that was normal until I got older and I would hang out with friends and it's like, oh, you don't hang out with your cousin? And be like, no. And I'd be like, that's weird. I always see my cousin. My mom's family lives here and most of them live in Northern California, all of her Marysville area. And then my dad's family lives in uh, Santa Maria, more in Southern California. So I wouldn't see them as much, maybe a couple times a year. It's about a six hour drive. So, where does Chido fit into all of this? She was close with her family, spent most of her time with them when she wasn't working. Her brother and sister and cousins have very different memories of her, but that's mostly based on their age. Because she was so much older than Marisol and Junie, she was truly a big sister, another comforting and responsible figure in their lives who could take care of them, but who was also fun too. She was like that for her younger cousins as well. Trito was a very nice person, and she was definitely not afraid to hang out with her siblings, even though she was older than both of us. And that she, she was hardworking. She worked at her job for a really long, for years, and was able to pretty much make the payments on her car, I think. I remember my mom saying that she doesn't remember really helping her out with getting the car because it seemed like she had it handled financially. She would hang out, or I remember her taking me to the movies a few times. When I graduated fifth grade, she like bought me a game for my Game Boy Advance. She got me like Pokemon Fire Red as like a gift. She would take me out or get me some food from somewhere fast food or something if I wanted like oh we can go get food here or like go get a pizza and then she always had CDs all the time like new CDs like I remember she had one of those big CD books the binders yeah she had like two of those that were really big and they were full and I remember a lot of that music because she was always playing CDs in her car all the time driving me around when I was a lot younger so a lot of the music I like, I feel is informed by her, even though that's music that was popular in the early 2000s. I can remember from the CDs like Bone Thugs and Harmony and like Outkast and like Chingy, early 2000s hip hop. I remember a lot because of she's kind of like my dad. I, I guess I'm the same way, but my dad is when he drives, he listens to music very loud. Like the truck that he has has like these subwoofers, and he's like, my dad is those people who blast music in Spanish. I feel like you see like in movies. I feel like because she worked at the video store, she got to know a lot of people, and so kind of similar to me being a server, it's like you just get to know people in the community, and uh, most people 
you know, when everything happened, they, a lot of people knew her from the video store. So I feel like that helped out with people wanting to get involved because they recognize her from running movies, even though, even though Oliver is a small town. So I feel like that kind of helped the profile and everything get around. Marisol, the youngest, has similar memories. I remember Chidal always being there and playing with us for Christmas and stuff. She always had cute ideas, like, to decorate. And she was kind of always thinking about me and uh, my brother. Like, she would buy us stuff. She just always wanted to make things really fun for us so we would be happy. I I liked being with her. I thought it was fun. She was kind of like my sister. She kind of, like, knew what was fun for us, like, what we were into and stuff that we would like to do like I remember she would take us bowling too with one of her friends and her friends younger siblings like she would do stuff a little bit different from like my parents because she knew what we were into like what would be fun for us something that I always liked about her was that she was always into fashion like the latest fashions and makeup she actually dyed her hair a lot she tried a lot of different hairstyles she would cut it um she had like a lot of hairstyles she always was dyeing it and I thought it was cool because um she looked good and everything one of my cousins say she invented the smoky eye like she was really good makeup and all that stuff and I always thought it was cool as for America Gracia's sister she and Chairo were in the same grade at school and had the chance to share nearly everything they had their own lives but they were still very close I think that for the most part, we had different personalities in that she was more, especially in school, like she was more popular. She was definitely, I'm not saying like she was the popular kid in school, but she was more vocal and social. So she knew more people. I was more like shy and I didn't really have like a ton of friends. But I remember Chido having like, she had a good, a pretty good amount of friends, just like people she hung out with. It was more of a group. And I, I felt like I was more like a one friend type of girl, just because I was really bashful. So that was kind of one thing that, that made us different was that aspect. And then in terms of school, I don't really know how she did in school academically or anything like that. I was pretty focused in school. I felt like especially in high school, like I wanted to go to college. I never, we never really talked about after high school stuff. Like, what do you want to do after high school? And then in high school was me not helping her navigate through her, her romantic relationships, but knowing about them because she would talk about them a lot. So she's definitely uh, like a relationship type of gal. And I think at the core of it, we just loved each other. And we were like sisters in, in, in general, even though we had a lot of differences in our personalities we we knew that we could always be there for each other and count on each other and I would always be there for her just like another sister because we didn't really have any other girl cousins that were close in age to us and we were the oldest in our immediate families so I think we gravitated towards each other in terms of like going through like you know having your period and talking about that with somebody you know that's your age or just even talking about like 
doing the things that high school kids do, like experimenting with using alcohol or weed or whatever, you know, but we didn't know anything. We weren't really in that scene. So we would talk about it, like wonder what it would be like or whatever, things like that. We would definitely hang out a lot, like in her room. I would go a lot to her house. I remember Um, our parents, well, my parents were really strict in, in that they wouldn't allow me to have any sleepovers, even at cousins' houses. And I remember the first time that my mom and dad finally said yes to letting me spend the night. And that was a pretty huge deal. But with the caveat that I had to take my younger sister with me. Um, and that would be interesting to see it, to hear from her perspective, my younger sister, how she felt around us, because it was I had I had to take her. I didn't necessarily want to take her, but um that was the case. So that was really an eventful like day, like being, oh, I'm going to spend over the night at Chido's or even like, I remember a lot of memories, like her going to the flea market and getting like a new CD and then going back home and playing it and, and inviting me over to listen to the music and stuff. And I remember her getting Selena CDs a lot and we would listen to those songs a lot. We actually did ask America's younger sister, Gracia, who was one of the little cousins who nevertheless got to go on those special outings with the older girls, how she felt about the experience. My relationship with her was Chido took that very nurturing, including me. If she wanted to like go to Target, she would always invite me. It was her birthday party. I remember she had it at a hotel, which was like, such a cool like mature thing to do and she also invited me to go to that when I was younger and I was again I was in high school so going with like older people I thought that was so cool so her always including me in like a lot of her little outings or her birthday party was to me thinking back I I just felt like she always wanted to include me like a big sister and I I I loved her so much. I still love her. I love her so much because she never excluded me. That's her personality. She always wanted to be included with a bunch of little stuff, which I, I don't know. I guess she always had a big heart and she was always patient, even though like me might annoy her or something. I might say something and it might be annoying, but she was always so patient and was never rude. This is all important. Not just in knowing Chido, but in understanding why her family and the larger community was so immediately concerned when she wasn't home that Sunday morning when they got home from church. Chido was a normal young adult with friends in a dating life who went to parties, had fun, but she stayed focused on her family, and she was busy. She also had her work at the video store, which was necessary to pay her car note and to help her save for college, which she planned to start in just a few months. In fact, she normally would have been with her mother and siblings at church on Sunday, December 11th, 2005, but they'd left extra early that day because their family had a special role to play. Junie discussed that with us during his interview. I pretty much always remember going to church. And then um, when I was in maybe fifth or sixth grade, my mom 
started becoming more involved with the church in comparison to when I was younger. Like uh, my mom joined the choir and then I joined the choir when I was, in, I think, in sixth grade. So that's another reason why we had to go to, at that time, go to church so much because I would have to go. I think it was Tuesdays and Thursdays for choir practice. And then some weekends we'd have to sing at a couple of different churches, maybe ones in a different town. And then we go to the one that we normally sing at. The day that you're referring to, that at 5 a.m., we went to one church in Marysville that's pretty big to, to sing. And then we went to a very small church in the town of East Nicholas which I don't know what the population is. It has to be like 200 or something. It's just a very small town. We sang in two churches that morning, the 5 a.m. and then the one in Nicholas, which was had to be like 9 or 10 a.m. It's a really small church. So it was two. That's a lot. Did you go home between? No, we didn't go. We just one was over and then uh, go to the other one. That day is like a very special, it's like, it has to do with the Virgin Mary. That's an important once a year mass that people go to. Other than Christmas, that is like one of the most important yearly church masses that people go to. La Virgen de Guadalupe. Chido's mother, Magdalena, explained how they ended up separated that morning. Fue un 11 de diciembre, ¿verdad? Ese día, como... Estoy en la iglesia, iba a ir a cantar las mañanitas a la Virgen por el 12 de diciembre, ¿verdad? Entonces... Magdalena told us, quote, We were going to sing at five in the morning, and my daughter was supposed to go with me, but she woke up late. She said that she would get there after so that I could arrive on time since I was supposed to sing. So I told her that was okay. I still remember it as if it was yesterday. Her face, how I saw her in the bathroom, that was the last time I saw her. She said, Mom, I'll arrive later. Since a lot of people gathered that day, I thought she had already left the house, but she never got there. Magdalena's sister, Carmen, Chato's aunt, was also singing in the choir that morning. Here's what she told us about what she remembers. Sí, me acuerdo, de, me acuerdo este, perfectamente de, 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 de eso que pasó. Yo, este... Carmen's recollection is similar to Magdalena's, except for one important difference. While she was singing, she felt her phone ring, just two times. It was set to vibrate, and of course, she couldn't take it out at the time, but when she was able, she realized that Chido had called. She told us, quote, I regret not picking it up, but one never imagines what's going to happen. Police have not publicly commented on what that call might have meant, or precisely what time it came in, and how it might tie in to the timeline of Chido's disappearance. But Carmen knows it must be important, because Chido would have known her mother would be performing, and probably her aunt too. So, why did she call? The timeline of that morning is something that Chido's family has returned to again and again. Magdalena remembers the surreal nature of her arrival home. She began to notice, detail by detail, that things were very wrong. 
y pues fue que me di cuenta de muchos detalles no buenos, ¿verdad? Magdalena told us, quote, I started noticing a lot of bad details. First, her car and the key. So I called one of my sisters to see if she saw Chairo at church, but she said she did not. I thought it was weird because the car was missing and there were a lot of weird things. I saw that the window was open without the screen, so I started worrying. I called and her phone was there, and I worried even more. My sister told me not to worry, that she would arrive soon, but I felt something was wrong. Not even ten minutes passed, and there was a knock at the door. It was a police officer. They told me they found my car in the water, but all I kept asking about was my daughter. Where's my daughter? I told them that she had the car, and that's when they started investigating. That's how I found out that something had happened to my daughter. Juni and Marisol didn't know that Chido was missing. Not at that point. There was a flurry of activity across their extended family, but they hadn't returned home with their mother and father. They didn't know what their parents did, that Chido's personal car was sitting outside their house, and the police had come knocking to report the family's Camry found in Bear River. I didn't go home until really late in the evening because I had the two churches in the, in the morning and then... I went to my cousin's house, my cousin Hansel. I went to his house because that was just normal. I would just hang out with my cousins all the time. So I went to his house and I spent the whole day with him. We just were playing. And then in the evening, we just watched TV. So I, I never went home until much later in the evening. I just went to the churches and then went straight to my cousin's house and hung out with him all day. And then later in the evening, myself and my aunts, I think my grandma, we went to the police station and then that's when I knew that things were really strange until, and that was like, that had to be like 9 p.m. Because up until that point, it was a pretty normal day for me at my age. It was just go to church, sing in the churches and then go hang out with my cousin all afternoon. So I, my experience is probably pretty different from my mom and dad. Do you remember what was running through your mind once you were at the police station? Yeah, I, um, through my mind was that something really bad happened. That, that's just what I remember thinking that because I never had that experience before. It made me think of, I used to watch a lot of like uh, Unsolved Mysteries. I used to watch that a lot when I was a kid. It was actually a show I really liked. Actually, I would watch it with Trito. And so I remember when we went to the police station, I was just thought then and even kind of now it's like, oh, like now my life is just the unsolved mysteries, like the people on the show. It's like, I don't know. It's not the same when it's, you, you know, you watch something on TV and it's entertaining, but then your life becomes like a version of that. And it's kind of a strange, surreal experience. Here's what Marisol remembers about that evening. Me and my brother were actually at my cousin's house, and it was getting really late. I didn't really think anything of it because I was just a little kid, so I just assumed maybe I was going to spend the night, even though it wasn't like a regular thing for me. Like My mom never let me spend the night anywhere, but I was just assuming that we were because it was already getting late and my mom was not there yet. But I remember my grandma telling me that I was going to, me and my brother were going to get picked up. They were going to take us 
to the police station and she was, I remember my grandma was crying and upset and I thought that was not normal. So I didn't really know what was going on until like they actually took us to the police station. And I remember one of the detectives telling me that the reason why we're there was because Chida was missing. It was weird because that's the first time I've ever gone to a police station. I forgot to mention we were actually picked up by one of my mom's friends and we followed, uh, I think we followed the police there. It was a male and a female detective talking to me and my brother. She just told us that she was missing. So I just didn't really know. I don't know. I just kind of wanted to start crying immediately because I was, I was worried. I was, I, I was little, but I I know what that means. So I was, I was worried and she just, you know, asked us the basic questions like when's the last time we saw her and stuff like that. And I remember I looked down the hallway and I seen my sister's boyfriend at the time there getting fingerprinted and they just asked us a couple questions until they took us back to a room with my parents and other family members that were there. My mom was really sad, kind of blank. I guess I would say like more like shock, like she had like a shock look in her face and she looked really sad. So immediately I wanted to go comfort her. According to the Appeal Democrat, eventually everyone in Chido's family would be fingerprinted. Chido's boyfriend, who Marisol saw at the station, was no exception. His name would come up a few times in the local news coverage in the days and weeks following Chido's disappearance. Similar quotes were used across several news stations from him in regard to her being missing. In an archive news report from local news station 10, we found the following. Chido's then-boyfriend, quote, told News 10 reporter Deborah Hoffman he doesn't know what happened to his girlfriend. I don't know what to say, he said. I don't know. I mean, there's nothing I can say until they find her, end quote. The same report noted that, quote, Investigators have interviewed Chido's boyfriend and several others, but would not elaborate on what, if anything, was discussed. They also served a search warrant, but have not specified to whom or where. End quote. The search for Chido that began on Sunday, December 11, 2005, would continue intensively for two weeks. Then, per the Appeal Democrat, efforts were scaled back, though the case was still very active and the tip line remained open. It wouldn't be until January of 2006 that the news would finally come to Chido's family, a chance discovery brought on by the rising water levels. And for her mother and stepfather and siblings and aunts and uncles and cousins who'd hoped and prayed for a miracle, the arrival of the Yuba County Sheriff's investigators at their door for a second time would be devastating. And with new discovery, a second investigation would begin. Next time on The Fall Line, part two of our three-part series covering the case of Chido Garabay Ferreira. Please remember there is a $50,000 reward available in Chido's case. If you have any information, you can contact authorities in the following ways. Yuba County Sheriff's Office has an anonymous tip line at 530-749-5181. Their tip email is ycsoanonymoustip at co.yuba.ca.us. 
If you know of a case that should be covered on the fall line, there's a link to our case submission form in the show notes. Thank you for listening. The Fall Line is an independently produced show, and we appreciate listener support. It allows us to do research, obtain FOIA, pay our content advisors, and support and donate to the causes we care about. If you try out the products we advertise, please use our sponsor codes. It really helps. And if you'd like to support the show and the stories we cover, join us over on Patreon. We're raising Patreon funds to continue to pay for the Millbrook Twins billboard and to fund therapies for families who've been on the show. Each and every one of our patrons helps us to continue this work, and we're so grateful. On Patreon, you can get early release ad-free versions of our regular episodes for $5 a month. We also have occasional video live streams and vlogs. If you prefer Apple Premium, we've begun that feed as well. The Fall Line is written, hosted, and researched by Laura Norton, with additional research by Brian Waters, Kiana Burgess, and Michaela Morrow. Interviews by Brooke Hargrove. Produced, engineered, and scored by Maura Curry. Special thanks to content advisor Guadalupe Lopez for translation and our interviews for this series. Additional content advisement by Brandy C. Williams, Liv Fallon, and Vic Kennedy. And, as always, our most special thanks to Angie Dodd, Liz Lipka, and Sarah Turney. Our monthly donation is currently going to Season of Justice to support their family grant initiatives. So far, three families to have appeared on the fall line have had billboards fully funded by Season of Justice family grants. Many more families tell us they have applications in, and we hope to update you on their progress soon.